Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chatting Shit with me, Liam Dean. How are you all doing? How have your weeks been? I hope they're absolutely gorgeous and lovely, just like yourselves. How are we doing, guys? Um, I'm just going to start this episode by doing a quick little announcement, disclaimer, not disclaimer, what's the word? Just letting you all know that I'm going to take just a little break after this episode, um, just a couple of weeks, purely because... I've been, well, we've been absolutely snaked in this house. So I'm going to name and shame them. Now TV, we were going to switch our Wi-Fi from Sky Wi-Fi to Now TV Wi-Fi. Who even knew that Now TV did a Wi-Fi? And it was all set up and all ready to go. Fantastic. And my housemate rings them the night before we were meant to do the switch over and was like, we're all set. Um, My account says everything's ready to go, but I've not heard anything from you. Um, Like, when will it happen? How's it going to happen? And they were like, oh, we cancelled this back in like middle of Feb. And we just didn't tell you basically. So we currently have no Wi-Fi. So it just makes it very, very difficult to record with people. It makes it difficult to edit, upload because I have to hotspot. La, 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 la. It's a whole shit show. So I thought this would be a good excuse to take a couple weeks break. The Wi-Fi is not going to take a couple weeks to come back. But I'll use it as the time to refresh, rejuvenate, take the time to record with some guests, make sure I can come back with some banging new episodes for everyone. And also... Now that I'm working full time, I need to like get a little backlog of episodes. None of you need to know this information, but basically I need to get my shit together because because I'm busy. She's finally got something to do. So yeah, I'm going to take a little break, but um, get excited for when we come back. So let's get started on the things I'm super grateful for and have brought me joy this week. So the first thing that I'm really, really grateful for is that my friend Elle, my lovely, lovely, gorgeous friend Elle Locke has started up her own kind of like fitness classes. She does total like full body strengthening and toning, strengthening, toning, conditioning. Um, and she does her classes on a Saturday morning over Zoom. And it's like you're burning burning classes where like your glutes are going your legs are going we do abs we do arms we do everything and it's such a good way to start my Saturday morning so couldn't bloody do it this week because the fucking wi-fi situation but I have been doing it and I've loved it and she's just so good I mean I'm biased because I'm friends with her and I think she's amazing anyways I think she's such a good fitness instructor so if anyone wants to check out her classes head over to Lock Fitness and sign up for these Saturday classes, give it a go. And then if you love it, you can do it weekly with me and you'll see my face on a Zoom class every week. How exciting. Um, The second thing I'm super grateful for this week is that, again, because of the Wi-Fi, I've not been able to work from home. So I've been going into the salon to work, which has actually been really, really nice just because it's like such a nice change. Obviously, the salons, you know, no one's there. It's not open. There's no clients there. But I live super close. So luckily, when my Wi-Fi dropped down and I couldn't work from home, um, I was able to just go in and yeah, it's just been so nice. Just so nice to have a different high street to walk up at lunchtime, just be around a different vibe, mindset, headspace, different place, all these things. So fun. And, um, yeah, it was just really, really nice to have a bit of a change and have a tiny, tiny sense of normality in my week. Um, yeah, it's been months since I've been into the salon. So it was just nice to pop back in there and change it up. And finally, something that's a bit of like a backwards one is that Basically, this week or these past couple of weeks have been like the uh, anniversary, I guess, since I was on tour with a show that got closed because of coronavirus. And all of my Instagram like reminders and memories have been of, you know, all my stories and stuff of that time. And even though it was the worst thing to finally get a dream job and literally be living my life, like, honestly, I can't tell you how much I loved the time on that show. The people were amazing. Um, the work was amazing. It was one of my dream shows. I was honestly just living motherfucking like high life of that time. Um, and obviously, like many people, it all got taken away from me and, you know, got stripped of that experience. But the reminders on my phone are reminding me that I was lucky enough to have that experience, even though it was just for such a short period of time. So I'm really, really grateful that that all happened. I learned so much in my time on that show and I it's a nice like gentle reminder that things will be back like it will happen again um and I'm grateful that you know I'm fortunate enough to have things in the pipeline that hopefully will happen when things can happen so I am so 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 super grateful for that this week and yeah it's you know it's really shit that it's been a whole year and I'm like what the fuck have I done in this year other than start a podcast of course um but 
yeah, it's just a great, it's like a nice reminder that it did happen. And I was so, so grateful to have that experience. Oh, and finally, it's my birthday this week, which hasn't happened yet, but I'm super excited and fun for that. I'm sure that's going to bring me joy. So let's get into this week's episodes. I am joined by the incredible, wonderful, and absolutely stunning Iona Ballantyne. Iona Ballantyne is a dear friend of mine who we actually like kind of lived together for a little bit um, when I lived with my best friend um, whilst I was at the Brit school and she was best friends with my best friend's older sister and she used to come and stay with us all the time and she was just wonderful and she's always had this dream of being a presenter and we talk about it in the podcast but we used to sit around the kitchen table and I used to interview her as if she was like a famous person and then we would switch switch it around and we would be sat at this kitchen table for hours just like role playing these interviews so it's weird that it's actually happening now um so she works for BBC Sports Scotland as a a presenter, a social media producer, and a broadcast journalist. And I just thought, you know, someone who is working in sports, a female sports presenter, she works really closely with female sports personalities, um, like female sports stars and stuff. And I just thought, you know what, this is a world that I know nothing about. And I'm sure many of my listeners don't really know much about. And we need to know about it. Like, you know, it's amazing that there's females out there flying the flag for people within the sports industry. And also, I'm sure it comes with a whole host of problems. So me and Iona cover all of that in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy me chatting a bit of shit with Iona Ballantyne. Hello, Iona Ballantyne. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm really nervous, but I'm good. There is no need to be nervous <laughs> on chatting shit with Liam Dean. It is a welcoming <laughs> space for all. <laughs> I'm not used to being interrogated. Well, aren't you usually on the other end? Yeah, so I feel a bit out of my comfort zone right now. Well, it's good to flip it around every now and again, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Swap the roles, flip and flop. <laughs> Multi-talented. I just knew that we'd just be able to sit down and have a chat because we've done it plenty of times before, haven't we, Jess? We have, and it's been so long. But my favourite thing about you asking me to come on this week is the fact that we started by interviewing each other in the Gregorian kitchen. <laughs> this is such a full circle moment. And I just don't know how we've both found ourselves here because, I mean, you were always destined for it. So basically, for those listening who don't know what we're talking about, because no one will other than me and Iona. <laughs> we, so I used to live with my best friend and their family, the Gregorian family. And Iona is also into integrated into this family in mm. every which way there is and I only used to come and stay with us and um just come and live with us for a bit every now and again when she fancied a slice of London and we would sit down at the kitchen table <laughs> and we would just do like a role play interview where I would be like your Oprah and Iona would be the hottest celeb of the moment <laughs> And it'd go a little something like this. Should we maybe just do a little demo for them now? Yeah, but I'm trying to think. I can't even remember what we used to speak about. Like, what would... I can't even just think anything. what our interviews would be. But I, I feel like we definitely tried some red carpet stuff or... Oh, for sure. It was definitely like, so, Iona, who are you wearing tonight? <laughs> um, Tonight, or Liam. Like... Yeah. I'm wearing Alexander Wang tonight. Um... Oh no, I can't, he can't, <laughs> I cannot wear Alexander Wang. And he's just so excited Wang. about the new release of your film. Yes, um... I am. <laughs> you see, she likes to go off on a tangent and then I'll just give her a look in the eyes and I'm like, no, we're carrying on now. We're not yeah. finishing yet. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd be there for hours, hours and hours. Yeah. Just absolutely in-depth role play, wouldn't we? Yeah, we were dreaming so much. We were just like, this is the dream. How are we going to do it? This is the dream. And look at us, now we're living it. I know, we're chatting shit. <laughs> <laughs> So for everyone listening, um, just give us a little bit of your brief history. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you come from? Cotton Eye Joe? Oh God. Um, now I feel under pressure. So do you know, um, who was I talking to this morning? Uh, no, it was last night or something. I was talking to someone and they were like, what's your job role? And I was like, well, just now there's three. So my three items, my three things that define me just now are presenter, broadcast journalist and social media producer. But that's just like totally different from living in London, chilling at the Gregorians. Like that's just kind of been the past sort of couple of years. Um, formerly from musical theatre background. No more. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> she was a theatre queen. So I only went to Bird College. Um, 
a rival of the college that I went to, Lane. I know. I was so jealous. Like, I auditioned for Lane the first time and got in, but went to Bird. But I did the vocational year at Bird instead of going on the three-year course at Lane. Um, and then after my uh, pre-vocational year, what was it called? Pre-vo- yeah, pre-vocational year, sorry. Um, yeah. After that, then auditioned to get in. They didn't let me in the second time. <laughs> Betty the Savage. I know. <laughs> she strikes again. She struck. She struck so hot, and I was like, I don't think I, I don't think I can take this. <laughs> That's savage. I think that was the start but, of my confidence. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bird really just helped that flourish, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, Betty was so like, what- "You're back." She was like, "You're back, honey. Uh-uh. <laughs> Out of here." <laughs> Get gone. Get gone. <laughs> we don't do second chances here. Yeah, they yeah. They made that clear. So <laughs> off I popped. So <laughs> back to sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> you got a new southeastern train and you popped back to sitcom, but that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. So what was it that made you want to make the transition from theatre life to the presenting broadcasting life? Well, see, that's the thing. For I think I'd always had in my head that TV was what I wanted to do but for some reason I think when you're so young and and going London pops up and then Musical Theatre College pops up you're like okay maybe I should do this like I don't know just kind of I think like most people who go to Musical Theatre College I danced every single night like five nights a week that was what I did and in my head I was like I would love to work in TV but I have no idea how to even get there so I think it was just a kind of natural progression at 18 to go right I'll just go to London and and do that without thinking how how could I even get into TV and I actually remember like my years at Bird and they'd I don't know if they did it Elaine but they'd go through the class and be like what's your dream role like what's your dream job <laughs> it would be like I want to be in the West End I want to be in Wicked I want to be on this cruise ship I want to be on this tour and they'd, they'd come to me and I'd be like I want to be a TV presenter <laughs> <laughs> and everyone would just look like what <laughs> I think you're in the long, wrong class <laughs> um no that's, that is quite fitting though because I think especially when you're younger and if you look at people who are doing the jobs you want to do I think a lot of TV presenters did go to performing arts college mm-hmm. especially kind of the older generation like I'm thinking there's a lot of people who probably went to like Italia Conti and like the more like older schools that have been running for longer and mm-hmm. then became these well-known names and everyone's like oh okay well there must be some kind of little um presenter school or something when really they probably all just like popped the ballet shoes on and went off to college for three years to do the musical theatre yeah that's the thing and like when I when I did leave London and I was like right I need to make this happen I need to make this work how am I going to do it I went through all my favorite presenters all of their career history and how did they get there and the, the common denominator between all of them was that they started at the bottom um made like usually as a runner and that's an entry level job in the tv world so I was like hold on, I can actually do this. Like there is a, a route in, because I think, I feel like before you work in it, when you sit and watch it at home, it's just, you don't even think how it's made or what goes into it or that there's some little runner going <laughs> to do like printing and stapling in the background. But that's, that is how you, you get in and, and work your way up. So suddenly it was possible. But I remember before leaving college, um, I can't remember that like the guy, uh, the job title of, it was kind of, you know, like pastoral care, but not really like, you know, just that person yeah. at college who's just there to like chat to or they'd kind of look yeah, after all the yeah. student welfare and everything. I can't remember what his job title was, but I was chatting to him when I was thinking about leaving and he was like, I wanna, I can see you like doing this, like working in the news, being on TV. And, and I always had that in my head. And I was like, Matt, that's what I want to do. Shouldn't, shouldn't have name dropped him. Sorry. Didn't, didn't last name drop. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who it is. <laughs> but um I'll bleep it out yeah <laughs> I won't I don't know how to do that yeah. <laughs> um but then I remember like getting my first tv gig on the news and I messaged him straight away on Facebook and I was like Matt I've done it like can you believe it and it I think that was maybe four years later or something but I always had it in my head and he was like Iona like you can do it and I was like yeah I can do it. and to be fair at college he was probably one of the only people that was that that was the cheerleader to be like you've got it in you to do it um yeah and I just always loved that message where I was like Matt tune in now (laughs) (laughs) guess who's on at five o'clock yeah have sex honey (laughs) oh prime time (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, it was. So is that kind of, is that the way that you kind of stepped into it then with the running role? Was that your first kind of production job? Oh, you know, <laughs> I was thinking there's actually, I, so I did this um, kind of traineeship with the BBC called uh, like their production apprenticeship scheme. But before that, when I was kind of like, when I knew that this scheme was coming up, but there was a couple of months between my job that I was doing in London and then moving back up to Scotland and then applying for that role. There was quite a, a chunk of time there. So I then had looked around to be like, okay, what can I do TV wise? And somebody who I know had said, who works in an, one of the companies, the independent companies was like, we need somebody to transcribe. Um, why do you come along and, and do it? You'll get paid for, I think I got like 50 quid for eight hours, which is just <laughs> horrific. Not great. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's so funny. because So I remember doing that. It was like for a big channel four primetime show two big presenters and here I was like in this amazing office all this equipment and I was like transcribing but as transcribing is one of the worst jobs but it's so like you have to do it you just you have to do it and when you start out you have to do it so doing this big show like you know that all of these hours of you transcribing is never going to get used like it's literally so they can go through find a good bit in the filming and then cut to that bit instead of watching like hours and hours on end so you're doing this thinking this is a waste of time anyway and then, um, so I did this like big show and that was great. And then they're like, oh, can you transcribe this other one? I was like, whoa, this is cool. And then they asked me to do this third one. <laughs> and I totally forgot about the story until I was thinking about it earlier. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this actually happened. So <laughs> they sent me through the video and I was just going to do it at home instead of going into the office, which was harder because at least in the office I had two TV screens so I could kind of like chop between the keyboards. Anyway. They sent me the footage and it was for this crime documentary and it was um, the chief constable who was working on this killer, this like, I think it was a UK killer, it might have been America, I can't remember, it was so long ago, but um, it was, he was going really in depth about this crime and this killer and it started off like a little bit gross and then it just got so deep, Liam, it was horrific, the most graphic details and he was called he was like this the something slayer like a really sick name and basically he was going around killing these people and then putting them in weird positions so the one that sent me over the edge probably like 20 minutes into transcribing was the guy who just killed someone and then when they went to when they found the dead person he'd like spread them out on the bed had killed the cat and then had placed the cat on this dead man Why? <laughs> I remember typing this out in the flat on my own and I was like, I can't go on. Like, I actually can't listen to any more of this. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to say. This is the glam of TV. So I was like... I the glitz and the, the glam, glitz and the glam. What position you, is your cat in? <laughs> <laughs> when people say, like, you start from the bottom, you really do start from the yeah, bottom. Yeah, that was like the depths of the bottom. And I actually emailed and I was like, I'm sorry, but you didn't warn me how sick this was like I can't go on <laughs> and we so what were you there. doing just like literally typing up typing the words out exactly the were saying. exactly what he was saying so that they can then look at the script and say okay we're interested in this bit we'll edit this together for the full program because there's hours of hours of filming that goes into a half an hour program an hour program so um yeah the slayer ended me on my transcribing career <laughs> he slayed me <laughs> you were slayed by the slayer <laughs> i love that um so then where did the kind of like progression lead to what would you say was your first thing that you were like mm -hmm. okay i'm doing something quite decent now like i've kind of made my way up mm -hmm. and now i'm doing something that i'm a bit more like you know i'm not i'm not quite at the dip <laughs> the depths of the deep blue sea yeah i'm i'm floating i to can the top. see it yeah yeah um do you know yeah. what honestly it was it was when i started at the bbc and i've been there i think for four years now um so basically when i started i never left that's just been me so i replied so this i knew that this scheme was coming up this apprenticeship scheme and basically it was a year you got paid for it you got a qualification at the end and um you spent i think it was like four to six weeks around 10 different departments of the BBC because they're so like it's huge it, <laughs> you don't realize I think you don't realize without working in it just how how many different departments how many people like how much goes into each production that's produced so yeah yeah for um, sure my just the way that mine worked out I knew that like sport so sport what I work in now that was my dream and I always thought that's 
such a ridiculous dream because it just felt to me it just felt way out of reach and I just thought how do these people work in sport like how do they get into it that's my dream like all this live sport going on that's what I want to do it's just so exciting you just get such a thrill from it and my I think my last two departments were sport and news so I got round to the end of the year um extended my time in sport and then when I was chatting to the head of sport my boss now he was kind of like look there's a lot of things coming up like we can help you with voice training for radio and this and that and then so I spent a lot of time there working really hard and then when I went to news um I actually went to the news department up in Aberdeen and I knew like a few of the people who worked there anyway and it was um when I was like on my placement there that they said there's a story that's come up that you're kind of related to we think you can do this for the TV. Like we'll produce you through it and help you through it. And that's when I was like, whoa, they actually asked me to do like a, a, like a piece on the news. Like what? Um, so we did it and it was like, it, it did get really good feedback. I remember getting all these emails through from all these seniors. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so nice. <laughs> um, oh my God, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fantastic. Well, wow. <laughs> who knew? Um, and I think it was from then that I was like, I can like I can do this, and it really was like it's been it has it's such a great place to work because there's so many opportunities. And when I went back from news, I went back into sport, and then when I left sport, the the not when the apprenticeship finished up, then this job came up, and then that's been me ever since. And then things have kind of like naturally it. progressed from there. So it is it's definitely working from the bottom up, and like I say, going through all going through all of these like. All the Wikipedia's of my, all my favorite presenters, you see it. They they like start as this, and then they keep going up. They're like a production assistant, and then they're producer, and then they present, and then blah blah. So it all it all ties in. But I think like working your way up that way, you understand each individual role and how important it is, and then it means you can do a chunk of everything, and that just makes life so much easier when you're on set. Yeah, and I think it really does come down to like I think things like this can seem quite unachievable to people who really want to do it like it's like anything you know your dream job you want to do it and it can seem really unachievable but then when you pick it apart and you look at like you've said the way that other people did it and it's like you know you start from the bottom and then just so long as you keep working hard and put yourself in the right circles mm -hmm. it's just that right uh, right place right time kind of situation like you know yeah. you were there they said this story kind of relates to you do you want to do it and then that's the first thing that ticks you off and I think a lot of people it, but it, it does seem so unachievable because there's only one person who can do that job so like similarly to in a western show there's only one person who can play the role of Elphaba at that time or mm -hmm. in a tv show there's only one actress who can do that certain role it's like for each news piece for each you know whatever you're presenting then it can only be one presenter doing it unless you mm -hmm. know your little duo or whatever like Anton Deck <laughs> yeah. but so you look at that and you think okay well you know there's a lot of people trying to get this one role and yeah there is and it's going to be hard but there's never I feel like I often ask people you know like how did you do it or like how did you get to where you are now and I think a lot of people expect there to be kind of like a detailed outline. Well, you know, if you go to this school, because when you were little, you do do that, don't you? You mm -hmm. think, OK, I'm going to follow the steps and you can follow the steps as much as possible. But when it gets to your like your own path, as so long as you're finding yourself in that right place and you know that you're in the right place, and you're not wasting your time somewhere, then you just kind of have to trust that someone's going to pop along one day and say, hey, mm -hmm. do you fancy giving this a go? Yeah. And it is so true. And that's the thing, like. Again, reading these Wikipedia pages and these like career biographies and whatnot, it is kind of like the right place, place at the right time. When you're just starting out and you're reading this, you're like, how am I ever going to get that break? Like, how is that ever going to happen to me? And, and just by chance, the career that I'm following now, it has happened like that. Like I've spoken to the right people just by chance. Like it just blows my mind yeah. how it all adds up. I mean, the, the show that I present on a Wednesday, so that's a Gallic women's sports show. And like, I just say, I say to everyone when I talk about it, I just love it. Like the team are so amazing. Like all the guests who we get on are so amazing. All the features that we covered are so amazing. And it's so inspiring every week. And to start that, like there was a scheme at the BBC called Mentor Up. So kind of the, all the younger members of staff, you can apply to it. And then you're paired with a senior member and then you kind of give them advice on what younger people are thinking just now. So woman who I was paired up with, she then said to me, how can I help you? And I was like, well, this is actually kind of like, I love what I do, but I also really want to progress 
this way in presenting, she set up a meeting with um, one of her uh, friends and colleagues. And then next, you know, I get a call like, hey, we've got a pilot for the show. Do you want to come and do it? And then it all just fell into place. And like that just blows my mind that I applied for this scheme. I was paired with this woman who's who was incredible and then set me up with a meeting and then here we are like how does that yeah. even happen but it just all fell and into you place can't write that. no you can't and that's the thing yeah. like I feel like with this it's it's all happened naturally and it's 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 going well whereas I remember being in London and just feeling like being at bird and just feeling so like out of place I didn't have any confidence I we were in singing and I was like I cannot sing I hate getting up and singing I'm never going to work in the West End. Like, I don't know if, I, if I'd want to cruise. I'm never going to be able I to believed tour. I in you. <laughs> Thank you. The <laughs> only one. <laughs> no jokes. Um, but no, it was that feeling of like, I don't think this is right for me. But I just feel like when you're down there and you're surrounded by everyone and you're in this college environment, it's so, so difficult to step away. Like, that was, it was so hard. And it's, it's hard it was hard in that I knew like the, I think that by the time that I left there were a few people in my class who had also stepped away and it and I knew the backlash that they got like all the chat behind their backs about it and I just thought oh god like that's going to be me that's what they're going to be like about me too and it was hor- such a horrible feeling when you've left you don't yeah. have this career set out everyone's still young everyone's still like musical theater west end is the only thing you can do and if you don't do it you're yeah. like satan and you're kind of like oh god like everyone hates me and i don't Absolute know or you think yeah lame throwers are at you yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was honestly it was such a horrible feeling and it was when i knew i wanted to 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 leave like going into having to go into class and still deal with like all of like the abuse that you'd get <laughs> not serious abuse but the mental yeah. abuse you'd get from yeah, some of yeah, your no, teachers sure. was so hard and like your confidence was just like like just yeah <laughs> just getting knocked i think like you could it's, it is good because you can look back in it and think obviously at that time like when you left because one of my best friends left lane like after, after second year Mm-hmm. and I know he went through a really rough time afterwards thinking, you know, is this the right decision? And everyone was always asking me like, oh my God, why didn't he leave? Why didn't he just do the last year? Like, you know, he could have just stuck it out. And if you know you're not in the right place, it is such, it's like a brave move and it's such a mature thing to go, do you know what? Like I can take from this what I have already so far, but I don't need to take any more. I'm done with mm-hmm. it here now. And like, because there will be so much that you learn at birds or through your dance training when you were younger, or just being in that environment there'll be so much that now I'm sure like you know puts itself into your line of work Mm -hmm. now with like presenting and just being like a presence and a person and knowing how to carry yourself and knowing how to speak and all of that stuff that you learn but when you leave like you've said because you've already heard people talking shit about it so much you're Mm -hmm. like oh my god like well you know I'm just gonna be another one of these failures if I leave and it's like you know these colleges are here yeah okay to train people up to be performers whatever but I feel like everyone forgets just how much like life skill and I mean you gotta have fucking thick skin (laughs) yeah you you do (laughs) there's like a group of rhinos walking out of London (laughs) like seriously literally but honestly it's so true because I probably say to almost everyone now there's no way that I could get up and do what I do. I mean, like presenting live is hard, but there's no way yeah. that I could do any of that without my training at Bird. And I can look back now fondly and think, thank goodness I was there for three years and got so much invaluable experience, like from, from all aspects of it. I mean, I've got, well, when I'm, when I'm live and I've got my Wednesday show, I've got two big scripts a week. So you finish one show and then you're straight on to the next show. And the thing is just now, like with both shows, there's no autocue. So everything, if I've got a script, it's got to be off by heart. I mean, there's no way that I could learn all of these scripts every week off by heart without having like the acting backing that I had from Bird. Yeah. Again, like talking, I mean, like if, if I'm on the radio, you have like, you need to be able to to talk and enunciate your you're words. You're still like performing. Yeah, yeah. All of that voice training was again totally invaluable so I can now look back and and be so thankful for my training but I think at the time when you're when you're in it and you're like oh what what am I doing like am I right for this is this 
the right thing to do with my life. It's hard. Um, but now yeah. I'm like, thank goodness I had my time there because I wouldn't, like I say, I wouldn't be able to do what I do now without it. Yeah. And so what was it about the sport element that really attracted you? Because like, I'm all up for breaking the norms. I'm all up for going against the grain. And obviously such a gorgeous, glamorous, <laughs> prima ballerina woman like yourself, stepping out of the, you know, the, the stagey world, the hair and a tight, slick back <laughs> pony, your red lip, your leotard and your, and your character heel. Stepping out of that world and going into your rugby, your football, you're like very um, heteronormative, masculine environment. So what was it that attracted you so much to the sport world? I don't know. It was so different. I think I... I The men. No, no <laughs> that's what we're getting against. Power yeah, to the exactly. women. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to reiterate, I, take, I did say that to take the piss. <laughs> Thank you. We're not all for that. No. Um, so I grew up like from with sport like from my dad he was huge he was just like obsessed with this team in Glasgow called Clyde um and it was it was a smaller team compared to some of the bigger teams you get up here so it was like a very family thing like you take us around the country and that that was just that was just my weekends growing up like I remember he put me up on the side of the pitch once so it was like the kind of barrier around the pitch it was quite a small stadium so I was just sitting there this like seven-year-old little girl and then the ball came over to us and then the player on the pitch was like, do you want to head it in? And I was like, yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just remember like, it was such a, it was, it, it just kind of encapsulates what sport is for me. I remember like going out, like the game would finish, you either won or you lost. It was amazing or it was awful, but then you'd go and wait for the players and you'd get your shirt signed. Liam, I've actually still got like a shirt from when I was 10 with all the players' signatures on it <laughs> in my wardrobe. Love that. Uh, do you know what's weird? I just want to quickly button and say, I know the feeling only because I am obviously very not sporty Sue, like <laughs> the sports world isn't for me, as we can all probably tell. But my dad was absolutely obsessed with, obsessed with Manchester City growing up. And he used to take us to the Manchester City games at the Etihad Stadium. Mm -hmm. And disclaimer, he did stop taking me because he realized I only kind of went to get like a hot dog at half time. But oh, bless you. <laughs> I used to get excited as well by like, um, by seeing like, I can remember we used to go to Manchester. Um, they used to have these like things in the street. I don't know if it's after they were won like a certain game or league or whatever. And they mm -hmm. used to like go on the bus in the street and stuff. And I can remember going and being like proper excited because like there is such a culture around it. And there's yeah. such like, you know, the players have this celebrity status. So as a young kid, you are so like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like stars in your eyes, like, wow, what's going on? So yeah, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so no, but that, I mean, that's just what it's like growing up. It was so lovely. And then I did, kind of just always had that love for it. Um, and then when I was in London, like I would, I, it was just like the company that we worked for during college, like you'd work, we worked at, for like the Six Nations during the, during the rugby and like, the, um we did like loads of golf events and stuff and I remember being there and just it's the live drama of sport there's nothing like it like you're watching this unfold in front of your of your eyes you have no idea where it's going to go anything can happen and I would I remembered like working at these events and being like I want to like I want to be involved even more like this is just there's just such a buzz around this I want to do this as my career um and it is just that love for it and yeah it's it's amazing and that's the thing like when you even like my show on a Wednesday that's in the studio um with a guest and a sofa and we we chat about different things and then there's um some features and VTs we call them um about like different sports people and what what's kind of going on in the world of women's sport that week and like see so just hearing their stories and like the dedication behind it is unbelievable and I, I feel like there's a lot you can take a lot from performing and training and it kind of matches up with sport and it's that dedication that thick skin that you need you need to wake up every day and you have to perform to your best and if you don't you're out like yeah it, it's so brutal but I can I can I understand it from that side but then I can also I love it from a spectator side so to be able to marry the two and have that as my job is amazing like it's so much fun and that's a thing with the pandemic and whatnot a lot of stuff has been paused for the time being 
but when live sport is up and running and there's fans in the stadium and you're there and that's your job like there's no feeling like it and I think as well I always wanted that buzz of being on stage because you'll know when like performers know that wet like yeah when you're there and you finish and you're getting that clap like there's no feeling like it but that live on air buzz is you're in the studio or you're like you're at a game and then the camera's on and you're like you're getting the countdown in your ear and you're like oh my god I'm about to go live like here I go yeah it is I (laughs) always like I always needed that and always craved that and always wanted that um so to be able to have that as my career now I just feel really fortunate but don't get me wrong it's it it takes a lot of work and it's taken a lot of hard work to get to where I am but for me I still feel like I'm right at the start like there's so much more that I want to do yeah come back to me in five years chat and shit yeah we'll do a part two yeah worldwide (laughs) (laughs) mr worldwide that would be um so like I was saying it's obviously a very male dominated industry and you know there are I'm sure you've had people make comments like the one I said jokingly just saying again um or you know direct things your way that's like oh that's different for you to do or because you know like you are stepping outside of the box and you are entering a world where you know even now when we've got incredible women's professional teams I mean again I can't comment too much on the sports world because I'm not involved in it but like from an outsider's point of view I don't see half the information about women's teams than I do men's so like even though you're not necessarily on a team the presenting side of it I also can't even really picture many times that I've seen like my dad watching tv and it's a female presenter or I've seen bloody what's it called match of the day on in the background (laughs) of a pub and it's a female presenter so what is it like to kind of step into this male dominated world and have those kind of those kind of um things projected onto you I don't know it's it is a hard one I feel like to work in it you have to not not kind of let that affect you you have I don't know if there's probably a part of me that feels like I have to work harder and prove myself harder but I don't know if that's just a natural feeling or if that's um like me subconsciously thinking I'm a woman in this male-dominated environment so maybe so I do need to do more or prove myself more I know there can be like not not within my work but I know that people like I don't know just random people on the street would think how has she got her job is it because she's a woman but it's not like it's it is from working hard it's from honestly just working so hard to get to that but I know what you mean like I remember there was one point um it was quite a few years ago like I had gone to a a press conference with one of my colleagues and um we were he was doing an interview it was just when I was learning and I was kind of shadowing him and I transcribed Oh, using my transcribing skills. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, I transcribed the interview and had sent over. And basically, um, when it was posted on the website, my name was on it. Um, so it was my story. But there was a, a group of fans who just weren't happy with the headline. And f- fortunately for me at this point, my Twitter was on private. I just remember it so vividly, um, like going home from work opened my Twitter and had all these notifications and it was so this was like back in the day before I had like a a kind of a Twitter account dedicated to work it was more just my personal one which I would tweet about strictly or whatever it was always like hashtag homeland like whatever I was watching I would I would search (laughs) and I would tweet about it and it was more just like we're just chatting shit so it was just personal one that's what we all do on our Twitters yeah yeah so it's just like random stuff so um it was a private account and um I was getting all these notifications and it was basically people really unhappy with this headline. And I just felt like so, so devastated. And they'd like screenshotted my page and it was like, here's your pathetic excuse of a woman journalist and this and that. And like when you're on your own and you're a young woman or a young man, like anyone to get this abuse. And it, it, it was a number of people, but it wasn't as much as like, like people get so much worse than that. But just for that first experience yeah. of seeing people like say that was honestly, Liam, it was so horrible. And you're kind of thinking. But I think it's, oh. it's, it's very relative because even though, you know, you say people get worse, it's like, you know, even if you're some big name and you're getting thousands of comments a day, 
the the good ones never stick with you and the bad ones you'll remember forever yeah, so ma- no, no matter if you're getting a hundred bad, bad ones or three or four mm-hmm. you still remember it and it still sticks with you and I think you know with you saying people saying oh is, is you know is she only doing this because she's a woman she's just got this job from she's a woman you will always find that kind of pressure but also um like second guessing when you're flying the flag for a smaller crowd mm-hmm. like if you know you have got to your place because you've worked so so hard but when you look around you I bet you know you don't see women like you on every sports game presenting or every you know sports themed thing in a in a presenting world and that's when you kind of go number one oh my god well I must have worked hard because I'm the only one here doing it and number two it's like people saying you know she only did it because she's a woman well honey if that was the case where are the rest of them (laughs) if we're gonna let all the women do it for the sake of it where they are yeah (laughs) the thing is like I would say from from a personal and work point of view like I work with so many amazing people male and female and a lot of my female colleagues are incredible and they are doing so much and I feel like it's the visibility for women's sport is definitely increasing there's a huge there's such a huge way to go but I feel like 20 we're in 2021 now but I feel like since the Women's World Cup and from then the visibility has been so much more and people are investing so much more and it is in the media more but um there is a long way to go there is still a long way to go yeah and I think when you work within it you will see the progression more than the outside Mm -hmm. world it's very much like you know within the queer community I'm aware of all the all the awful things but also if there's any good news or if there's any progression I'll be the first to hear of it but other people from the outside might not be aware of that and I think it's when you get to the point that people like myself who's on very much the outside of the sporting world you know maybe when people like me start to go oh okay I can really see like a kind of equal opportunities here then that's when you're kind of in the step of the right direction but I think you know I think it's really important you you mentioned that you're surrounded by amazing um colleagues of you know male and female but I think it's really important as well to mention that just because someone isn't they know the face of it so the presenter on the um on the tv or the person in the studio in front of the camera like you said right at the beginning of this you don't realize there's an absolute world of people behind the scenes oh it's like huge even back in the day like you know those stories even though you said it felt pointless, but like there was a point for it at some point and those stories wouldn't have happened if little Iona wasn't sat there tip-tapping away on her keyboard, (laughs) making it happen. Yeah, And it's like, as much as, you know, if, if the world of presenters in sport, like sports presenters between male and female is really unbalanced at the moment, then that, that needs to be addressed. But it's like, let's not, while saying that because that is really important but while saying that let's not undermine all the amazing work that you know women are doing behind the scenes yeah. that are just as important as a person in front of that camera yeah. which is really contradictory to what I like the point I was saying in the first place but I think like it's important to say no it's true and the thing is that's the thing when the, the, I mean the vast amount of people behind the camera who make everything work like you you just don't see it but that's a kind of like the cogs behind the wheel that right but like mm-hmm. even I mean my exec producer on a Wednesday is a woman and she's I kid you not one of the most inspiring people I've ever met and see just having that like uplifting like cheerleader every week to work with that is incredible it just makes you want to do more but I think the thing with with women's sport and visibility as well my job is mainly to cover women's sports so I feel like I'm deep in it yeah but I I haven't taken myself out from it for a while. So I actually, I'm just always in it. So I don't. Yeah. Like when it's your every day, you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, it's always, it's like all consuming for me. Yeah. So you don't realize that like on the outside, it's like me, like I very much Mm -hmm. live in such like a gay bubble fairies and rainbows I love everywhere. it it's so and happy I always <laughs> I always say that like I do and I and through like speaking to people on the podcast or just through speaking and like reaching out to people I do have to remind myself that like you know mm-hmm. 
I always say as soon as you step outside the M25 and trust me, there's many places within the M25 <laughs> as well. But as soon as you step out, it's like a different world yeah. of these people who are living like a different experience. And, you know, going back to the sports thing, like we're on complete opposite sides because, you know, female sport is all consuming for you. Mm-hmm. But for me, even though like obviously I'm not looking for it back, I never see it. Yeah. And so think- it is it's, it's that visibility. And I think a lot of it does start within the media because that's what people consume. So it has to, you have to be seen. What's the saying? Yeah. You have to be seen to be believed. <laughs> yeah. I love that. that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, I feel like um, we're like the who and what I work with, we're doing, we're, we're proactively doing this, but it kind of has to come from everywhere. It does have to come from everywhere. Yeah. And it, and the thing is f- like, I can't, who, um, one of my guests who I was talking to and just this week and she was talking about like the importance of male allies when it comes to women's sport and not for for guys to just throw away and be like oh it's just women's sport to actually have guys watch it and just see it as sport and it's great because it is it's so good it's so exciting it it gives you the same thrill it's got the same buzz it's got the same drama it's got the same like the skill set's unbelievable. And the thing is with a lot of these women, which I just admire so much, is that they're also working pretty much full time or their students full time. They're athletes at the top of their level. Some of them go off to give birth and come back and still hit the top level. And I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. That's amazing. And and as women's sport is such an inspiring place to work in because you get all these women who've gone through all this stuff. Like I was just um been chatting to a few about endometriosis which is a um, condition of the womb and um, it's so debilitating I've suffered it myself and I know myself the pain I remember being at college and having really really awful periods it must have been when it was kind of starting out and would say to teachers like I can't walk like a genuine the pain like I feel sick and they'd be like oh it's fine exercise helps like exercise does not help like (laughs) this this. is not helping and that's the thing like one in ten women suffer endometriosis so the fact that so many women go through all of this and still performs the highest level to me blows my mind so it's literally and I think yeah like you said earlier or like we were talking about it's the whole um you know they're at the top of their game they're the highest they can be and they are working the hardest they can and they're still kind of having to prove themselves or show that we should you know get more recognition than we or than we have Mm -hmm. because even being at the top of your game because they're women in sport and it's still not equal you know and I think it might be difficult for you to comment on because you are there celebrating it every day like your Mm -hmm. whole job is about celebrating women in sport so like you've said you know you might not be aware of the the problems that come along with it. But I think from an outsider's point of view, I just see it as, you know, they probably don't get paid as much as the male footballers get paid. Mm. Absolutely not. You know, they they go through things like childbirth that men don't do. And then they have to bring themselves back from that. And it's like, you know, why aren't we celebrating these people yeah, as much as the men? Amazing. Because the skills are the same. You know, the, the passion's the same. You know, like you've said, watching it's the same. The thrill's the same. But because of some kind of way in the background of life, yeah. someone once said, oh, no, don't want to watch them do it. I'll just watch the men do it. It's a struggle. And that's the thing. Like so many of the women who come onto my show, particularly the footballers, the the common denominator through it all is that at one point at school, they were obsessed with football, like loved playing it. We're playing with playing it with the boys at school. Like and then it came to playing with a team. And there wasn't, at that point, there wasn't, this, I mean, I'm talking not long ago, like 20 years ago. Yeah. No, there's not a girls team. Um, You can't play with the boys, so you can't play. Yeah. So you're losing like so many talented people. I mean, kudos to them for coming back to it. Finally, yeah. like when they were older, joining a girls team, which was allowed, and then progressing on to play for the country. But at, yeah. at a young age, if you're told you can't play that, boys play that. Like how, like. Yeah. It's actually so interesting to me because it's kind of like the same that I talk to a lot of queer people about growing Mm. up, you know, wanting to do things outside of like your gender norms. And, you know, the girls, 
you know, if they're not put off by the fact that there's not actually even a team for them to play, then they're probably going to be put off by the fact that they're called butch or tomboys or yeah. lesbians or, you know, God, why, why don't you want to be like the girls or that's not a girly thing to do? Why don't mm-hmm. you want to, you know, wear fucking pink and all that shit? And it's like, for God's sake, like, why are we telling people so much stop, stop, stop? Like, yeah. why aren't we encouraging people to do things? Yeah. And I think hopefully, you know, I don't know you know what's going on right now because I don't really know many people who've got like young kids (laughs) but hopefully things are changing and I think if we can get that visibility out there more because it's like you know luckily Mm -hmm. when I was growing up I my parents took me to the theater so I did see people and guys in shows and I did see you know men in shows but if you don't see it it's hard to vision yourself doing it so Mm -hmm. as a little kid I can imagine I probably wouldn't be in the like career that I'm in now if I didn't you know get the chance to go to the theater and you see, have it. see it to believe Equally, it you have to see it to believe it honey and if you ain't gonna see a girl kicking a ball around a pitch then who's there to tell you that you can do it yeah I always remember like one of my favorite stories was a few years ago the women's world cup and one of uh, my colleagues has got a wee boy I think he must have been four or five at the time and he'd said to his dad like or he the dad was telling us at work and he was like that his wee boy he said daddy like I want this shirt And it was one of the Scotland women players. Like he wanted her shirt. And I was just like, Mm. yes, like this is what we need. We just, for kids to grow up without thinking there's a problem. I know it's like not related, but kind of related at all. But I was watching a little clip from the Zara McDermott um, documentary. You see it on BBC iPlayer. And she was talking about about being young and being called, like if you're, you're 14 and if you're not getting with the guys, you're called frigid. But if you do get with them, you're called a slut. Like, like you're saying about you're young and you're getting called butch or you're getting called like a girl and yeah it's just the labels yeah it is the labels and it's putting children into boxes and then it's continuing this toxic like mentality that's so yeah so ingrained in our society i mean that's the thing the other day i was buying a lead for my dog like a, a lead for my puppy um and I was like, oh, it's a wee bit girly. He's a wee boy. And I was like, do you know what? I actually do not give a shit. I'm, yeah. I'm like, I don't care if he has a girly lead. So what? Like, why is it a bad thing? I want him yeah. to. Yeah. I think it is. Th- it's kind of something that like, you know, you can't really kick yourself too much about because it really is ingrained in us. And I think I, I, because of like the people I surround myself with and the bubbles that I'm in and like the queer community and stuff, I definitely have changed my mindset. And now I don't naturally look at things and go, um, I mean, it's very, very different, but I was, I think I don't even know if I said this in my last podcast, but I was saying how, um, went for a walk the other day and we went to a park and there was like some like portaloos and I was waiting in line. I don't know where I'm going this with that anyways. Waiting in line. There's <laughs> I don't two know what you're going to talk me. about. <laughs> And Mitch walked out one of the portaloos and I was just waiting in the line and the two women were looking at me and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, give like looking at me and I was like, hello. And they were like, you can go. It's the men's toilet. And I was like, what? And I was just waiting for them to go. And then I looked and there was like the men and the women like, on the toilets. And I was like, oh, of course, like they're gendered toilets. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking if I was at the front of that line and the woman had walked out the toilet, I'd have been going in because I, yeah. I need to wait. Like I'm going in. <laughs> but, but because I live in this bubble, I forget that like you know, gendered toilets are a thing or gendered mm. clothing's a thing. And like when I've been like nannying before, I'll be with kids and uh, I don't know, the parents might say something like, um, oh, you know, that's a bit girly to the kids or something. And I'm like, oh, like, we're still doing that. Oh, we're still doing that. Yeah. Or people will say to me like, oh, maybe you don't want that one because it's a bit pink or, or maybe you don't want to choose that one because it's a bit girly. And I'm like, sis, you yeah. can give me all the girly things that I want because yeah. I do not care. It's a <laughs> shoe. It's a jacket. It's a fucking toothbrush. It's a whatever. Like, <laughs> it does get to a point where you step out and I think going back to like we said the world that we live in you know you're you're in this really inclusive bubble like you're celebrating the women and like it's amazing because you as a female presenter working with female sports people are all flying the flag but you forget that you're flying a flag because it just Mm -hmm. becomes normality and then when you talk to people and you think hang on a minute like there are so many people who couldn't do what I was doing because they're a woman or there are so many people who can't do what I'm doing because even when they were little and they tried to have a passion for sport, they were told no. Yeah. Or like, imagine, you know, yours all started from this passion for sport, but imagine when someone was like, um, Iona, get down off that fence. Don't kick the ball back to the player and pop your ballet shoes off because <laughs> yeah. you're a girl and you're going to do this. Like you wouldn't be where you are today. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing Like you were just saying about like the kids that you nanny and stuff like that. 
it is just all these little flyaway comments that people throw away. Flyaway, <laughs> my hair. Same um, thing. All these little throwaway <laughs> comments that can be that are so that end up being so ingrained and that that can be damaging and just don't break this cycle. Yeah. Like how? I mean, I don't. I even, think that's where you yeah. have to. You have to like. I think people get frustrated, but I think you have to pick up on people's flyaway comments, throwaway, mm. whichever yeah. one we've decided it is. <laughs> and it's, it can be, it can be harder than actually addressing someone for saying something wrong. Because usually mm. if someone said something really out of line and you pick it up, even though they might argue back, there's a part of them who's probably thought I've said something a bit, um, you know, a bit wrong here. Like I've, I've, I kind of have said something wrong. Whereas if they're saying something that they think is so normal, so accepting and so fine, mm-hmm. even just making a little comment about, you know, you being a female presenter or even making a comment about the boy wearing the pink or whatever if you pick up on it you'll get a major reaction but there'll be some point that them that thinks hang on why someone just address something that is so normal to me wait maybe it's not normal mm-hmm. and like i think that's how we start to change these things because you know i i can imagine you know you might be fortunate now because of the position that you're in and you're working really closely with female sports people but i can imagine if you were working closer with male sports people especially as a woman you're probably going to face so many comments every day that people see as flippant comments like mm-hmm. oh I know this or addressing the way you look or addressing the way you know your makeup's done that day or the addressing what you're wearing and it's just like if you don't pick up on it and make them have the uncomfortable situation of actually you know you can't comment on how I look because it's not relevant to the job I'm doing today mm-hmm. then people just carry on and it passes down to the children and it just carries on yeah and then the, this the cycle just never ends i do find myself like in my older age <laughs> oh god <laughs> god becoming <laughs> like i feel like growing up and and hearing these sort of flyaway throwaway comments you would accept them or not accept them but you in your head be like oh shut up and it, let it go over your head whereas now in my older age yeah. i do feel like i am trying to actively challenge more because I just don't care of the reaction from the other person anymore. Because yeah. it's just... And it comes with confidence. Yeah. Like, you know, as you know, when you were Iona tip tapping away doing your transcribing, <laughs> you weren't as secure in your job and you were still trying to, you know, find these positions. And even though you said, you know, you're know, you not where you want to be yet and you're still climbing up the ladder and making the connections and having to make a good impression on people, mm-hmm. it's not so much as you know, if I do a step, like step out of line, I'm going to crumble and fall. It's like, well, you know, I've secured myself a bit now. I'm a bit older. I'm old enough and ugly enough to make my own, own decisions. Mm-hmm. And if someone's going to come at me with a comment, I can bring it back because you have the confidence for that. And I think that's where sometimes conversations like this and like the shit that like I'm fucking like preaching right now is all well it. and good. But lots of people don't have the confidence to back up their actions. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as that's problematic, it's not something you can necessarily get like angry about or blame no. yourself on because some people just don't have it. And I think sometimes I see people, you know, either let someone speak to them in a certain way or, you know, all those things that happen where a certain situation will happen, your friend will tell you about it and they're like, oh, I wish I said this. I wish I said this. And you're like, well, why didn't you? But when never you're in that moment, it. yeah, it's, it's you, can so never, you can never gauge how you're going to react. So yeah. I think, you know, as much as it's good to have it like in the back of your mind, of picking up on flyaway throwaway comments <laughs> um you know you, you you know you can't beat yourself up if it yeah. doesn't happen in that moment yeah. you know maybe try again next time or maybe plan an, an answer or something because it is hard it's mm. hard to be confident and it's hard to go against the grain and speak yeah it's hard but it's, it's so important and I, like away from it slightly deeper don't mean to get so deep but just like an example of being a woman and kind of dealing with things that some other people don't have to deal with. Like I remember years ago when I was living in London, must've been like six years ago now, so this is before TV stuff at all. Um, I was on a training course with the job that I was working on. And I remember the trainer being really inappropriate. Um, And I remember like we had, there was a break and then the trainer was like, oh, why don't you get in the car? Like I'll talk you through this. And like everyone else in the course was away having their break. And here I was, this young woman, like having to sit in a car with this old male trainer. Just, it just, something didn't sit right with me. And before, when I was a bit younger, I would have felt uncomfortable, but would have left it. Whereas at that point I was like, 
I'm not putting up with this. So I, I'm, I'm 27 now, so I must have been like honestly 21 or 22. I remember phoning um like the agency I was working with and saying, I'm not working with this man again. And like, I would like to lodge a complaint because what, there wasn't any inappropriate behavior, but I was just put in such an uncomfortable position where I'm a young woman being taken out of the safe place and being asked to sit in a car to go over stuff like that. That's not normal. Yeah. And if you weren't aware of it in the moment, it, it it could have led on to other things because if you don't have that kind of I think a lot of people in those situations can read people and if he could read that you were really unsure about what was happening he probably knew not to take it further because there was going to be some kind of response or reaction whereas mm-hmm. you never know if you were a bit more vulnerable or a bit more like didn't have confidence but I think that's why it's so yeah. important to do things like this because like my housemate went on a run the other day and uh like a man in a white van stopped and was like staring at her and like followed her really closely and like like wind just went down shouted things and stuff so she uh read like took the name of the company it was on the van and the registration plate and like really followed it up and like has had the conversation with a man who's high up in the company who was then like i've got um daughters and they had a full-on conversation about just how wrong it is and it's like you have to really put in the motherfucking work and take these mm-hmm. steps because you know if you didn't ring up the agency and make a formal complaint and say i don't want to work with him they'd have popped off every single girl they have in the agency to that training time with him and who knows what could mm-hmm. have happened you know if if my housemate hadn't rang up the company and hopefully i don't know what's happened but maybe this man's now been spoken to you know who knows what could have happened and it's like it's it's, it's a lot of effort it's effort yeah. to pick up the phone and it's make a so important it's scary as well yeah it, it's it's so scary and that's i think that's what puts so many people off it um but like good on your housemate because it, that's so hard to do and that's what you like the thing is when you see like the twitter trolling and the online trolling and when you see these people who are making these derogatory comments um about women in general or women in sport or whatever Often, if they have a profile picture, which, which often they don't, but if they do, is a is a husband, it's a dad. It's yeah. to to women like a husband. Uh, this yeah. guy's got a wife in his profile picture. Or this guy's got two young daughters in his profile picture, and you think, how can you behave like this to another woman when you're bringing women like females up in yeah. this world, like? Just yeah, mind. or even if they don't have like wives and children, they've most likely got like a mom or like a female carer or someone above them that, that you would think, hello, why can't you just like connect it back to that and like realize that this person's a fucking human and not to act like that? Yeah. Oh, but anyways, we've got a long way to go. Sorry. I know. <laughs> so deep, but it's so it is important to have these no, conversations because they yeah, are really they're, they're they're people are more open to talking about it now and feeling more comfortable and feeling yeah, more comfortable sure. to speak up and especially it, like it can be difficult on every side but yeah power to absolutely no literally power to the people power to the women honey yeah <laughs> um so let's wrap this up and to finish off i'm gonna hit you with some quick fire questions oh no have you prepared these i have actually prepared these. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> is it this or that or is it um a solid no, 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 it's answer. just like a quick answer oh god leave i'm not answer. good at these because like my brain can never like quite switch on i've I've tried not to make them too <laughs> difficult so we should be okay. okay right so number one the most exciting thing about your job uh being live the hardest thing about your job um also being live <laughs> <laughs> um one thing you love about the industry you're in um you being, can't say being live. Being live. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, do you know what? I don't. I, I, live sport. That's what it comes down to. Sport is what is what we do. Yeah, and one thing that you hate about the industry that you work in. Oh, it, do you know what? It's probably the backlash from the general public. Mm-hmm. It's people have got too much to say. Chatty yeah. Cathy's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep and, my name <laughs> out your mouth. Yeah. yeah it is honest like I count myself lucky that I've only had one awful Twitter experience but you see it all the time and it's disgusting so that's- there'll be plenty more to come and I'll be there batting them out the will way you back me up <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I saw an eye on a fan account um, thank you and finally <laughs> three top tips for radio and tv presenting Ooh. um know your stuff so important when you're live 
anything can go wrong so you must be confident to talk <laughs> you're something could go down a, a vt might not play your guests might fall off air you have to chat <laughs> sometimes you have to chat shit <laughs> but oh, it happens perfect get me on <laughs> um well and enjoy it like that to be fair pe- people go into t- into the tv industry because it's something they want to do it's like an aspiration it's a dream so you have to enjoy it it's hard it's long hours it's so much dedication so much work but the, the you see the end result you the, like the proof yeah. is in the production so it's it's always worth yeah. it that feeling once you wrapped is just like phenomenal yeah so. amazing oh i love it and i love you oh, so much i love you too <laughs> thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me i still don't feel worthy please come back to me in a few years when i'm bigger and better <laughs> of course we're gonna do a part two we'll have a part two on like a live thank tv you. show don't you worry honey oh I'll, have you show, you'll have your own show we'll do a collab <laughs> <laughs> i'll have a microphone then <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you so much bye <laughs> Do I have to say bye too? <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do something with that. Okay, but right. just keep it as it is. I like it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode and thank you for listening to all my episodes if you've listened to any of them. Um, it really, really does mean a lot to me and as always, please remember to head over to my Instagram at chattingshippod and keep following because I will be keep posting over this little break that I'm going to take and obviously you can then check on there for when episodes will be returning and who I will be returning with. So a massive thank you to Iona for coming on this week's podcast. It was so nice to speak to her and just hear all about her world, her industry, her work and the incredible things that females are doing within the sporting industry so during this little break remember to look after yourselves you know stay safe and as always remember to love yourself check your motherfucking privilege and be gorgeous human beings i will see you very very soon bye